book, The Imaginal Cells, was released at the World Economic Forum in Davos this January by co-authors Kim Pullman and Stephen, oh no, I'm going to say this wrong, Vasconcellos Sharp. Yes, perfect. Me, me and these pronunciations. Anyway, who pulled together a, a really impressive list of contributors, including Al Gore, Desmond Tutu, Muhammad Yunus, Paul Pullman, William McDonough, Johan Rockström, who is uh, part of the Global Challenges Foundation, which is on a previous program I talked about that, Thomas Lovejoy, uh, Jonathan Porritt. You're listening to the Insight to Action podcast. My name is Donna Jones. I'm your host. And today we're talking with Kim Coleman, and particularly we're talking about the book, The Imaginal Cells, but what the whole theme of the book. Because from my point of view, uh, the book really contributes to a wake-up call for humanity to accept responsibility for decisions that have been made. The, the theme is simple and it's universal. It's the golden rule. So, Kim, welcome to the program. Thank you. How did you land on the golden rule as a theme and, and, and what does it mean to people who seek to make a difference in the world today? Oh, thank you very much for inviting me on your show. I learned about the golden rule as a child from my mother, like so many people do, and always thought it was unique to Christianity. I watched my mother live it, and she's always been, still to this day, a great example. In recent years, I've been wondering, though, how well known it is as a concept, and if perhaps a wider knowledge of it would ease some of the tensions that seem to be increasing worldwide. Several books that I had read alerted me to the fact that it is probably the only universal principle that the world actually shares. It is not always known as the golden rule, and there are lots of versions of it, but the idea is the same around the world, culturally, historically, religiously, and actually it's the core of being human as a mammal. Neuroscience actually proves, in the simplest explanation, that serving others is a true source of happiness and peace, common to all humanity. Geneticists actually show us now that we are 99.9% .9 the same genetically. Let's focus on what we have in common rather than our few differences. So this is this belief is is core to focusing on our on our similarities. So for people that aren't exactly sure of what the golden rule is, who for some reason haven't come across it framed as that, what what is that golden rule? Well, as I said, there are different versions, but the version I grew up with is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We've modernized it a bit and we say treat others and the planet as you wish to be treated. It is super important that we don't just think about us as the only living being on this earth and we have to take care of humans. We also have to take care of us, all the species of life, plants and animals. Yeah, we've become quite disconnected from that, that interconnection and, and, the, and the interrelationships that make life work on the planet. And so, so the simplicity of that uh, is an ethical anchor, I think, for people to go back to and go, okay, everybody contributes here. Let's, let's just look at that from through that lens. So thanks for that. Now, I really love the title, Imaginal Cells, because it, it's different. It's unusual. What are imaginal cells? What, what does the title mean? And how is it relevant to change agents? 
Well, the imaginal cell, very simply put, is the latent cell in the caterpillar that holds the vision of the butterfly, the beautiful butterfly. So it makes a great metaphor, like nature often does, what we need to correct in our own lives. So the caterpillar gorges and gorges and gorges during his life, which is equivalent to our Western style of overconsumption, which is unfortunately spread around the world. We are gorging on the earth at an excessive level right now. The caterpillar finally goes in his cocoon, and the imaginal cell becomes active then. Well, the caterpillar cells are fighting against this new imaginal cell. The caterpillar represents the old way of doing things. The imaginal cell represents the new way that we must do things. So the old way, of course, is greed, the linear economy, rampant self-righteousness, etc., so that resists the new way, which is more inclusive and responsible. So the frequency that the imaginal cells emit, they emit this when they're starting to become active, and, and that allows the other imaginal cells to find each other. So they're, they can cluster together. So this, this frequency that they emit for us represents the golden rule, which is that universal principle. And that if we sing this together, the world would be a better place. And so, so finally, the, the caterpillar death cell does give up because of this collaboration going on amongst the imaginal cells. And then, of course, out comes the butterfly. And so the emerging butterfly is like the world where man really understands its connection to nature and allows the planet to remain a beautifully functioning ecosystem with man living harmoniously together and with with the earth. So it's it actually is a very practical metaphor, and it ties in very well with an African proverb that one stick is weak, but a bundle of sticks is strong because they've been working together and collaborating. So collaboration is a really key component here in our story. The cells uniting around this one principle is is sometimes thought of as synchronicity. We've certainly noticed that in this year, that if you are working for towards a good purpose, you find other people that are working for a good purpose. And then, then we all meet and we collaborate and then we become a powerful force. And I think it, it also requires us to, to take responsibility. So, for example, if you look at all of the plastic that is in the oceans, this is a very practical example, it's because individuals have extracted oil, individuals have produced the plastic, individuals have bought the products wrapped in or made from plastic, and individuals have disposed of it incorrectly. So all of us are responsible in one way or another for all the plastic in the oceans. And if we don't want to eat that plastic, then we definitely should avoid having fish eat it. So we do that by, by our daily actions. It's interesting for me because there's an artist out of Seattle, I think, who's been making art out of the garbage found in the stomachs of seabirds. And, and just, I mean, just some of the, 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 the visuals are pretty, the, the, as, as art, it's, it's fascinating. 
But when you actually look at what the ingredients are that go into the art, it is, you can't believe that we actually created that kind of a mess. So I really appreciate what you're saying because when people are at the checkout stand, at the grocery store, you've got a chance to say, what kind of plastic bags are these? And some stores will tell you, I bought, you know, these are compostable or they're like, for example, there's a, a something in, in Malaysia as part of Aim to Flourish. There's a company that produces shopping bags out of tapioca. So they have a two week, a half, two week life. When they, when they go into the landfill, two weeks later, they, they blob back into the, into the earth, which is lovely. But we can't say the same in Western, in the Western world. We've got a lot more complacency there and a lot more distance, I think, uh, between ourselves and the land. So, yeah. And I think, you know, the other thing I love about the image you used is that this whole image of the caterpillar going into the butterfly and that process you described with, with um, such, you know, lovely detail, that's the transformation process as we know it. It's a mindset change. That's really what require is required. We have to move from the linear economy to the circular economy. We have to have an economy that is not uh, focused on profits for a few, but shared value in a more equitable way. Um, we have to move from an economy where good education is for an elite group of people, but education is broadly broadly accessible quality education. This all requires a mindset change and it requires a change in what we value as success. Yeah, exactly. Now, you picked up a lot of responsibility in putting this book together when we were talking about responsible decision making. You took on a, a big task here, a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of focus. What activated your passion for leading change in this way? Well, there was probably not one any one moment where I started. I'm married to a man of action, and uh, I've witnessed his journey to be Mr. Corporate Sustainability. And I've seen how difficult it's been for him to convince others to take this journey as well. And he brought back a lot of books, and I read a bunch of them. And one book is by Jonathan Porritt, who is a contributor to our book. He wrote The World We Made. This was seminal in my own thinking. He projects to 2050 what we have solved and not solved and what are the consequences. Though some things were not solved, it is actually quite hopeful because he states clearly that we have the technology already to solve the challenges that we on our earth face because of our own activities. The issue though is motivation to scale the solutions and to have the necessary big impact. Then I read the Pope's encyclical on climate change, and he talks about the need to go back to the basics of the golden rule. He reviews the word dominion in the book of Genesis and clarifies that it does not mean domination, and that humans must stop thinking we have to control nature. I still hear that on the radio sometimes, and that he actually and that this word actually means stewardship. So mankind has the responsibility of stewardship of the planet. The Pope's hope is that all citizens of the world would read his book. So I decided that I must help him get this message out, even though I am not Catholic, 
somehow I needed to support my husband and the Pope in their, in their mission. We live in such a rational world, but reasoning is not enough in this case. So the golden rule touches hearts and provides the motivation for this change. Yeah, definitely. One of the things that I think is interesting about the golden rules of choice, and you and I've chatted about this casually, is that if you if you think about the principle behind it, you know, it is a principle that you can apply to all decision making. So, you know, am I doing harm? What is the impact my decision will have on others? What was the impact my decision will have on the environment, on on the air, on the community, the local community? And I know that that some people have had trouble with that word stewardship because I've used it. When, when talking about biomimicry management, you know, when there's specific companies of which Unilever is one of them that manage according to the principles of nature. If we translate stewardship really simply, it's about care. It's about looking after things. And long term. Exactly. Not care as in the moment where, you know, I can just walk away and ignore the ramifications of a particular decision that's been made, but, but, but hold on knowing that it's going to play out over time. So in that sense, then, the golden rule is a principle that anyone can use for decision-making. In all this research, I, I realize that the golden rule is really applicable to all the issues, and that is the point of the book. Each of our authors works on different topics, different problems, and there's a golden rule for each one of them. And also thinking about this, I realize that the golden rule has three requirements, so first of all, it requires empathy. We need to listen to the other person. Right away, this opens the path to solutions because everybody wants a voice. And although we can't make everyone happy, we, we do need to, in the first instance, sit down and listen to each other. It disarms layers of defenses that we've built up. And it allows us to find points in common from which we can build. And then second of all, it requires courage to take responsibility. Each one of us is responsible for doing what we can. It is so easy to sit back and wait for someone to solve the problems. Most likely complaining during the whole process that it is not being done fast enough or not being done good enough, but that's not very helpful. For example, during our multiple international moves, uh, when I was uh, moving around with my husband, I faced a lot of challenges every time, and I complained about them. I'll admit, I complained. There were a lot of things we had to deal with. I did. <laughs> he had his job. But uh, my husband's answer was that if something bothered me and I could change it, then I had to take action. And if I couldn't change it, then I had to accept it and find a way to deal with it. I think he's really right. If you have not participated in an election, then you don't have a right to complain about what the government is doing or not doing. And if you have avoided paying taxes, then you can't complain about the potholes in the roads. And if you don't like corruption, then, then don't ask favors for yourself either. So we each have to think deeply about how we take responsibility and make the change where we can. And then the third part about the golden rule that really does require action, it goes a step farther than empathy and, and compassion. 
because it's don't do, 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 don't treat, do treat, etc. And it's always about doing these things. So the golden rule is, as far as I can see, the only principle that really ties all of humanity together. Common humanness is what binds us together. Exactly. You pulled a lot of people together with very, as you said, very different points of view. I've read the book and, and very different angles in, in, the, in, in the contributions that have been made. What did you learn? Because, I mean, there's two levels that I'm thinking about here. One is conceptually, you've got these incredible stories coming from or these points of view or perspectives coming from people that have contributed to the book. And the other side of it is the, the experience of, of actually where, because I know you did some field trips, you, you, you were out there. And, and it's because it's not just about understanding it in my mind. It's about feeling it, experiencing it, the whole sensory uh, understanding that goes with, with being in the field, in, in nature or in the moment where people are wrestling with these ideas. What did you learn from all of that? I learned that uh, there are alarming things and that there are hopeful things. <laughs> so many of our authors talk about our connection to others and our continuation, for example, that we have slaves or our relation to species in the ocean or our relation to indigenous cultures, our relation to the climate and our relation to the jobless, etc. And we're, so we're, we're all connected. We need to understand that. You mentioned before about being disconnected from the land. I am, I am alarmed at how disconnected we have become and insensitive to the effects of our actions on others and the planets. But I am hopeful because so many people are working so hard to find solutions. We meet so many people who are so passionate and who are devoting their lives to solutions. We have a choice every single day of our lives about what kind of people, person we want to be. So we can choose to be a destroyer or a builder, or we can be a drain on the system or a contributor to the system. We can be filled with hate and anger, or we can be filled with gratitude and love. We can always justify whatever position we take, but what is really going to make us happy? And I, I, I choose to be a contributor. I choose to be grateful, and I want to be a builder. So, you know, we, we encourage people to make, make that choice. So, for example, the rural shopper, I, I was in Myanmar, and there were plastic bags all over the fields, and I, I thought those people also need to think about throwing that plastic bag in the fields because it's blowing, 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 getting into their rivers and getting into the oceans. So the investor on the other side in London can no longer invest in these huge fishing vessels that drag kilometer long nets behind him. And the adolescent girl has to think about what qualities are really attractive when she's doing social media, think carefully. Is this really what, what is attractive? So the rich person has to think again about how their luxury items are produced. And the farmer has to think about what pesticides he applies in his field. And the grocery store chain has to think about wrapping his fresh produce in plastic. So 
you know, we're, we're all overwhelmed because there's so many issues, but we all do not have to deal with all of them. I think that's a super important message. We just focus on our own life and what, what we can each do in that sphere. And the golden rule helps us to reflect. It does. And you mentioned plastic, that scenario in, in Myanmar where, where the, the plastic is blowing around. My daughter went to Rwanda right after, actually shortly after high school, after completing high school and then living in France for a bit. She went to Rwanda to train kids in soccer. And in Rwanda for years, plastic has been banned. So the very few plastic bags that were kicking around literally were turned into a soccer ball because that's all the kids had. So they, they would find these plastic bags and then wrap them around until, and then tie them. So she has balls that were made out of whatever plastic was left, but then they'd cover them with, with the grass fronds and turn it into a soccer ball with one ball. You can have a play. A lot of kids can have a lot of good time as long as you've got one soccer ball. So way ahead, way, way, way ahead. I, I don't know, actually, but I'm going to suggest that the government in Rwanda after the genocide took place was made up largely of women. And I think there is some connection at some point because, you know, women see the lens, see the world through the lens of relationship overall. And, and men often see the world through the lens of reputation. At least that's how how one uh, coach that I worked with saw, he's a man, but he, he, that's how he saw the distinction. And when I looked at it that way, I thought, yeah, that actually makes quite a bit of sense. So when you look at things through the lens of relationship and then when you add the golden rule onto it, 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 it sort of shows us globally, we've got lots of opportunity here. There's a lot of things within our range of reach. I can say, don't give me plastic unless you've, it's, it's, it's uh, compostable, we can, as a consumer, we can start making these companies more accountable. Yeah, and it's something that's been irritating me lately are plastic straws. Apparently, there are a lot of them in the ocean. And so companies, well, business, restaurants and fast food chains really must stop. So, But, but they won't stop unless we, we tell them. You know, if all of us are saying, stop giving us plastic straws, then they will stop. So I, I was at an event last night, and they gave us a drink with a cardboard straw. Wow. It was a, an attempt to eliminate plastic straws. It wasn't the best straw in the world, but, you know, hey, someone was conscious. Yes, exactly. Someone was thinking about that. That's fantastic. I know I bought myself a metal one. It isn't always where I want it to be. <laughs> you know, and, and when I bought it right away, friends would say, oh, look, you know, these are hard to clean. And they gave me the list of why it wasn't going to work. But it, it works. It works really well, actually. It's just the, the trick about having it with you 24-7. When <laughs> you decide to have that impromptu smoothie, you're armed and ready with your straw. But the idea that there's people thinking about metal straws, cardboard. I even saw a glass straw, which in my world would be quite dangerous. Actually, I'd break it for sure. But it's, it's just, you know, it's just that we're thinking about this. So that's a good start. But again, you know, from a consumer point of view, they're the ones that, you know, we are the ones as consumers that, that need to um, place that accountability full on with retail agent. Now, where to from here? What, what's next for you? You've, you've done this book. It's a massive piece of work. What's up for you next in this mission? 
Well, after we launched it, we were very pleased with the reaction to it. So we decided to set up a charity that would spread awareness of the golden rule and the concept of becoming an imaginal and to encourage people to live, live the golden rule on a daily basis. So we do work top down and bottom up. Um, Stephen is meeting with educators to encourage them to embed the golden rule in their curriculums. And I'm working to develop corporate workshops in, for companies to think about how the golden rule can improve their ways of doing business, both internally and externally. I'm also slowly working with universities to encourage business students and, and hopefully eventually design students of technology and various products to be more thoughtful about the long-term consequences to others in the planet of their work. And we're working on book two, which will be directed to millennials and will cover another set of issues that book one couldn't cover. Yeah, there's always a lot to cover, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you know where you're going to be in the next little while. You're going to be quite busy. Anything else, any tips for readers or listeners on, on how to make sense of this world we're in that's in a state of volatile flux all the time? Yeah, exactly. We, we do struggle with that volatility and the uncertainty facing us as well as the urgency with these uh, looming two-degree planet limits. The Arctic is it's pretty frightening, actually. We've just faced this very cold weather because the Arctic was so warm that it pushed the cold weather down in Europe. So it, it's happening. And we really don't know long term what is what will happen to the Earth systems. They can make some predictions, but whatever it is, it's going to be different. And then, of course, there's the political uh, uncertainty from some of our more questionable leaders. Don't know what will happen with when in some countries longer term. And changing these forces seems monumental, but humans have created these situations and humans can correct things. So each of us needs to start where we are, taking that responsibility to choose to be a builder and, and a fixer in our own spheres of influence. And simply put, treat others in the planet as you wish to be treated. Nice and simple. Yeah, it, it should be. It should be. It should be. Kim, I want to thank you very much for being on the program today. Lots of inf lots of thoughts here for people to work with in their personal lives. And, and I think that's where it starts, as you said. So a great opportunity for people to accept responsibility for, for being part of this design of, the, of a better world overall. Thank you so much for having me. Until I talked to Kim Pullman, I did not know that April 5th was Golden Rule Day. It would be easy to conclude from the conversation that we've had here that the golden rule is about religion, but that's not in fact the case. What we're looking for in this work to really tackle the big problems globally is, and locally, right down all levels systemically, is things that stand as universal. Universal principles, ways in which we all recognize the oneness of humanity. And that is, in fact, what, what I hope came out of this program for you today. So in the, in the spirit of that, I invite you to consider what principles you use in your decision making. How can you 
where can you, what are the places where you find yourself drifting toward polarity, but you can, by simply shifting your principles, come back to something that addresses a more responsible impact on the world today. And I think that's really the opportunity that the conversation that we had in this episode does provide to us all. So my name is Donna Jones. I'm your host. I want to thank you for listening to the program. You'll find me on Twitter at E-P-B-A-W-N-A underscore Jones. I'm on LinkedIn, of course. I wrote the Decision Making for Dummies, which is a more advanced book, despite its title. I have contributed a chapter to the intelligence of the cosmos on emotions in the workplace and decision-making, and we're just getting close to releasing a book through Great Workplace Cultures, which you'll hear more about shortly as I start to interview the various contributors to the book. So thanks very much for joining me, and I hope on April 5th, which is the day this is going to be published, you will have an opportunity or you will take the moment to, to consider what your impact is as you make your own personal decisions. Thanks for joining me, Share. Please, uh, if you enjoyed this program, please share and and, uh, subscribe.